So I suspect that every person here today has probably, at some point in your life, uttered these words to a child. Say you're sorry. But I, I think that fewer people have probably encouraged the injured child to respond with these words. I forgive you. Because forgiveness is something that we just don't easily and readily teach to people. Maybe because it's not something that we easily do ourselves. C.S. Lewis famously said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. In fact, we often hear people saying things like, well, I could never forgive somebody who did that to me. Or some things are just not forgivable. Or I'll forgive you if you change. Or I'll forgive you if you're really, really sorry. Or my personal favorite, I'll forgive you because I have to, but I will never forget what you did. I call it the other F word. <laughs> but if we haven't actually re entirely reduced the word forgiveness to the level of a dirty word, we have at least forgotten that forgiveness is something that we don't do for the sake of the other, but something we do for the sake and preservation of ourselves. But forgiveness is tricky business. We'd rather live imprisoned sometimes by our resentment and our anger than to forgive someone. Which is why today's scripture reading is so hard to hear. Love your enemy. Do good to those who curse you. Don't judge. Forgive. Aren't some things just truly unforgivable? Gassing people at Auschwitz comes to mind. So do the terrorist attacks of 9-11. The, the sexual abuse by clergy, that's pretty heinous. So is child abuse of any kind. I don't want to hear that we are called, commanded even, to forgive, to love that enemy. And I wonder if because the concept of forgiveness is so incredibly difficult sometimes, that that's why it appears in scripture 141 times. Forgive, forgiveness, forgiving. These are words that we hear over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament, not to mention the countless examples of just forgiveness in action. And I want to tell you about one of those stories today. It's about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Some of you have probably heard of Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. You know something has sort of risen to the level of sort of cultural status when it's got a Broadway musical starring Donny Osmond, right? <laughs> but the story goes like this. Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel, and it's no secret that Joseph is the golden child. He is the favorite of his father. And Joseph kind of knows this, much to the irritation of his older brothers. And so whether naively or not, one day Joseph shares with his brothers that he has had a dream that he will someday be great 
and they will bow down to him. So that went over well. <laughs> the, the brothers are actually not uh, very happy about this dream or their little brother's attitude, and so they plot to kill him, which seems a bit extreme in my view, but it is the Old Testament. Strange things happened. They take him out into the wilderness and they throw him into a deep, dry well where they're just going to let him rot and die. But then their murderous intentions change and they opt for greed instead. They think to themselves, you know, we can get rid of him and make some money. And so they see some passing travelers and they decide to sell their little brother into slavery. So the brothers do this and then they go home and they tell their father that sadly Joseph has died and no, they don't have a body because he was attacked by wild animals who ripped his body to shreds. Meanwhile, Joseph is enslaved to a man whose wife falsely accuses him of rape and Joseph winds up in prison. It's a sad story, but this is actually where things begin to turn around for Joseph. Because he begins interpreting dreams. It turns out he's pretty good at that. And he interprets dreams for the Pharaoh. And he's so good at it that Pharaoh eventually elevates Joseph to second in command in all of Egypt. So fast forward many years later, there's a great famine in the land, and Joseph has come up with a plan to help feed the, the thousands and thousands of people in his land who are starving because of the famine. And lo and behold, Joseph's brothers show up. And they walk up to Joseph, but they don't recognize him. They've come to get grain to take home to their families but they have no idea that they're looking at the face of their little brother. Joseph, however, recognizes them immediately. So, what to do? Joseph holds all the power in this situation. By the way, this is a great story. I highly encourage you all to go back and read it. Genesis, I think, chapter 37 to about Genesis 45. There's a lot of meat there, and this story is central to the story of the Israelites, and therefore central to our Christian narrative. I really encourage you to read it. So, what does Joseph do? Well, his brothers are evil. They were jealous and calculating. They were liars. They showed zero respect for family. They were selfish, greedy, all at the expense of someone's life, Joseph's life. What would you do if you were Joseph? The Lutheran pastor and speaker Nadia Boltz Weber says, we may never fully understand why God doesn't prevent evil from happening. But she says God does have a way of combating evil. And it's not punishment, it's not retaliation, it's not fear or anger, it's forgiveness. Forgiveness, she says, is God's way of combating evil. What Joseph did that day changed everything, and not just for himself, but for his brothers and the entire history of his people. When Joseph's brothers realized 
that he was not only alive, but standing before them with all the power to condemn them for what they had done. They were afraid. I mean, who wouldn't be? It was time to face the music. But instead, what happens when Joseph recognizes his brothers is something that I spent a lot of time ruminating on this week. Joseph's words to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45 speak to the transforming power of forgiveness. And by the way, I think that there's more to this than simply do unto others as you would have them do to you. There's more than the golden rule or any other rule that we might do that makes us feel we are following our Christian duty. To believe that forgiving someone is merely a code of ethics or a way of following Jesus is to miss something essential in our understanding of forgiveness, and that is that God is at work. In a pivotal moment, Joseph could have given his brothers what they had coming. He could have been resentful and angry, dismissive and cruel. He could have sent them away starving, empty-handed with no grain. He could have had them killed or worse. I don't know if there's anything worse than being killed. (laughs) Tortured first, I don't know. But here's what Joseph said. He said, do not be angry with yourselves. You sold me into slavery, but God sent me to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. Joseph's forgiveness allows him to reconcile with his brothers, eventually also with his father, and because of that, the entire nation of the Israelites could move forward. Eventually, that one decision leads to Moses and to the freedom of the Israelites. Think about that. Forgiveness led to freedom. Our ability to forgive is directly related to our ability to live free, no longer imprisoned, no longer a slave to hatred, anger, or resentment. We're free from that. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote that the story of Joseph and his brothers asks a fundamental question. Can brothers live peaceably with one another? For if brothers cannot, he writes, how can nations? And if nations cannot live together, how can the human world survive? Forgiveness is no trivial thing. It matters. It matters in our homes. It matters in our communities. It matters in the world. So with this in mind, we receive Jesus' command to forgive as an invitation to participate in God's very story. To, as Richard Rohr says, transform our suffering, not transmit it. We're invited to speak and act as Joseph did, with love and mercy, forgiveness and generosity on our lips, and then to see what blessing might transpire that we may never have even experienced otherwise. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus calls on each and every one of us to do this. He says, 
I say to those who hear, Jesus is talking to everyone, everyone who hears it, love your enemy. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, give. Now, I'm the first to admit that it is a whole lot easier to forgive someone when they have first offered a heartfelt apology. When someone says, I am genuinely sorry, and we forgive them, that's win-win. But how many of you have been stuck without an apology from someone who harmed you? Maybe somebody dies before you have a chance for that closure. Maybe they simply disappear from your life. Maybe they didn't know that they had harmed you. Or worse, maybe they didn't care. Or let's think about the story of Joseph in a different light. What if things hadn't worked out so well for him? What if the brothers had found Joseph living not in a palace, but on the streets? What if Joseph had no money, nothing to his name, a body covered in sores, physically and, and, and emotionally beaten down all those decades. Maybe some of you can relate to being wronged and it impacted your entire ability to live the life you had envisioned for yourself. Or here's one many of us need to hear. What if the person that you need to forgive is yourself? What if you are the enemy that God wants you to love? and to forgive. It's a lot harder to imagine forgiveness in these kinds of instances, isn't it? So it's critical that we understand that forgiveness is not a quick fix. It's not something that we say and then life goes out to, goes back to quote unquote normal. Forgiveness is a process. Because when it comes to the grave hurts in our lives, our ability to grow and to heal and to truly forgive is incredibly difficult, and it has no timeline. Sometimes simply having the thought, I want to forgive this person, or I want to forgive this situation, is all that's required of us. It's a process, not a distinct moment in time. It's a willingness to at least abandon negativity. It might be a shift in the way that we begin to talk about the offender. It might be consistently praying for the offender or consistently praying for our own ability to forgive, praying for a change of heart. We have this mistaken idea also that we can forgive and forget. Sometimes that's possible, but not often with the really big things, rarely. I've heard it said that maybe part of the process of forgiveness is not forgetting, but remembering graciously. Isn't that beautiful? Forgiveness doesn't require a literal forgetting. We may always remember the painful parts, but forgiveness, the process of forgiveness, allows us to remember without embellishment, to remember without angry adjectives and contempt, to remember graciously. You know, we look at the state of affairs in the world today, at our enemies, 
both real and imagined. And we say we want change. We want to change the way things are in our country and in the world. But can we have change without forgiveness? One of the divine attributes of God is forgiveness. And it always, always leads to reconciliation and spiritual blessing. So imagine for a moment how the story of the Israelites might have been different if Joseph, upon seeing his brothers, had set his mind on revenge and sold them into slavery, or worse. Imagine if God, for instance, had said to Noah, no guarantees about that flood. There's no rainbow. There's no guarantee I won't let this happen again. Or imagine for a moment if the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross were anything but, Father, forgive them. God is in the business of forgiveness and reconciliation. And it is meant for our highest good and spiritual blessing. This is why Jesus invites us to participate. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Or as we say in our Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray for the very ability to forgive because we know that God's forgiveness brings reconciliation and blessing for all. The dramatic story of Genesis 45 begs to be played out over and over and over again every time someone is wronged. A pope walks into a jail cell and forgives his would-be assassin. A Holocaust survivor writes a letter of amnesty to the Nazi doctor who tortured her. A mother walks across a courtroom and embraces the man who killed her son while driving drunk. A wife forgives a husband. An employee, an employer, forgives an embezzling employee. Friend forgives friend. Forgiveness is not a glib, it's okay. In fact, if we're nervous at all that our forgiveness somehow sends the message that evil was okay, or that abuse is okay, or that injured feelings are okay, again, Nadia Boltz Weber writes that maybe forgiveness is actually the opposite of saying that what someone has done is okay. Instead, forgiveness says, it's so not okay that I'm not going to absorb this anymore. I simply won't be tied to it. I don't want to be bound to the hurt, lest it find a way into my own heart and make a home there. In these moments, reconciliation breaks out, and suddenly the position of the victim has radically changed. In the moment of forgiveness, the wronged one is transformed from being resigned to the world as it is to being a co-creator with God in a brand new world. Forgiveness is God's way of combating evil in the world.
The gospel may be good news, but Jesus reminds us here that it isn't always easy news. Love your enemy is a hard command to swallow. Forgiveness is dangerous territory. And that's okay, because our great reward is not what's at the top once we claw our way there. It's not bigger houses and garages full of toys. It's not confidence and swagger and the admiration of crowds. Our reward is who we become in the process. Following Jesus may be a narrow road, but it is well lit. And it offers transformation in surprising places along the way. So as we spend a few moments in prayer this morning, I invite you to consider how the act of forgiveness might set you free. Free from negative thoughts, free from resentment, free from anger, free from judgment. And how the freedom from that might open new doors and new possibilities for you. So let us pray.